Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Joining me today is Janae Metzger to talk about establishing a winning culture on your farm. How are you doing today, Janae? Matt, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, I got to see your presentation at Iowa Swine Day, and obviously I've been through the farm and got to see it firsthand. I thought you did an incredible job explaining what you do, and I'm really looking forward to sharing that with everyone. To start off, how was that? I don't know if you talk up on stage very often, but you, you did a really good job. Well, thanks. I speak once in a while. I tend to uh, not usually short of uh, too many words. So (laughs) it also helps when you're speaking on something that uh, you just do and it's very normal. So I guess I was speaking more to my experiences. I don't have like a a proven model or system, but it's proven now in our uh, farm and business. And so um, that's what I got to speak on. And, And I thought it went well and I got a lot of good feedback via questions at the end. So to me, that was um, how I rated myself, so to speak, on how the speaking went. It was very well done. And you had a new member of the family there with you, too. Oh, yes. My youngest uh, tagged along. He's only a month old. So (laughs) it's kind of hard to leave him home yet. But I was walking around the room looking at tables and like what I I like to wander around and see what people are putting out on their tables. Some people are handing out backpacks, some little squishy pigs. And then I saw a baby kicking on a table and I'm like, wait, what? It made me do a massive double take. Like, wait, is that, is there a kid on the table? And it was the funniest thing. Um. <laughs> yes, we start, we start him young. Um, he hasn't been in the South Farm yet, but give him a few months and he will. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, to start off, could you give us your background? Where, where did you grow up and, and what was it like growing up and, and how are you where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So grew up on a multi-generation family farm in Northwest Iowa and um, honestly tagged along with my dad, um, which is why I'm a core believer and that's where the passion starts for animals and livestock. Um, And uh, I actually started pursuing a degree in the medical field thinking that I would farm on my days off and uh, quickly realized that that was not what I was exactly passionate about. And I would rather do something of my passion every day of the week. And so I went up to SDSU in Brookings and ended up graduating with animal science degree. And um, once I was there, I was like, most definitely this is my passion and what I love doing. So um, I had an opportunity to go do some internships and some traveling opportunities while I was in school and right outside of graduation. And then um, I actually had my cousin call me and said, Hey, Janae, I know you haven't been employed very long, but uh, I'd like to interview you and hire you back to the family business. And so 
<laughs> yes, like three months into my job, I went back home for an interview and uh, accepted a job. And so I've been with my family um, business now for eight years. And um, initially, I was hired to be an assistant South Farm manager. Our family was closing down our original Thousand Head South Farm. And um, in doing that, um, we decided to double and go to a 2200 at South Farm. And so that was my, what I was tasked with was starting up that farm and then hiring all the people that went with it. So did not go to school for HR, did not know much about people other than what I had learned <laughs> along the way of life at that young age. And so it's definitely been a journey to where I am today, but I've been in the HR role now um, more formally for the last three years, um, pretty full-time. And then prior, probably two years prior to that. So about five years I've been here in my role. So what does Mogler Farms look like today? And what is the history and journey of Mogler Farms? Sure. So we're a diversified family business, multi-generation. And when I say diversified, we have six different areas of our business. Um, we have our swine portfolio. So we have swine production, crop production, um, which we raise row crop, corn and soybean. Uh, we do beef production. So we have four different locations where we raise feedlot um, beef animals. Operational services, which would be our like our maintenance, our yards, different construction projects we may do internally, things like that. And then our grain merchandising is a commercial elevator. And then our support service team um, does just that, supports the rest of the business and all of those uh, environments. So we have a lot going on. Um, we have a team of 60 that helps uh, get all the work done each and every day and makes things work. Um, of that, 38 approximately are full-time. And so the rest of our portfolio is made up of full or of part-time team members. And so that's, like I said, we have a lot going on each and every day, but um, my role is, is entire um, business, not just the swine side, but our swine production side of the business is definitely the largest. So I do spend quite a bit of time there. And you talked about when you were hired on, you were doubling or growing it to about 2,500, but is that, did it double again? Oh, yes. We actually since uh, doubled the farm. So we built, like I said, built it to be 2,200. And then it wasn't, but that next year we decided to expand it and double it again to 4,400. So um, we had, like I said, yeah, we had a very steep learning curve and the pigs were the easy part, even though they came with their challenges. It was the people and the onboarding and the training and the HR details that uh, I was very green at. That was most definitely, it just caused me the most stress perhaps each and every day. <laughs> so do you know the beginning story for your, your family farm? Um, yeah. So my grandfather um, actually farmed with his dad and then split off to establish his own farm, which was called Mogler Stock Farm. And he was a row crop and cattle producer for his entire life until he officially retired at the age of 91 a few years ago. Oh, wow. And when his boys were growing up, um, he 
established Pig Hill Company uh, in 1976 and built the original Pig Hill Sow Farm. And that was how his boys um, began their operation and began to start farming alongside their dad. And so we've been in the pig business for several years. And yeah, and as different family members uh, have decided to come and join the family farm business, um, it's definitely grown and evolved. So adding more row crop over the years, adding beef feedlot, uh, and then the commercial elevator, well, it didn't start as a commercial elevator. It started in 08 as a storage location for kind of our on-site farm storage. And then we had a few neighbors say, hey, you know, if you got room, I, I, you know, I'd store my grain there. And it just slowly evolved and we got accidentally perhaps got into the green merchandising <laughs> business. So, so our grain elevator is called Mogler Farms. And that's kind of our um, outward facing company because it has a lot of customers and community interaction. And so that's uh, definitely, an, yeah, you do, I just took you on an evolution, but we're always yeah. evolving and um, that's how we have come about. So are there any fun like family stories along the way of like crazy things that happened since uh, your grandfather founded the farm and, and the company was growing or any challenges along the way that were, were pretty substantial? Any, any good family stories that have been passed along? I I don't know if it's a good story, but it's a full circle one. I actually had an <laughs> uncle. Uh, so one of my uncles um, wanted to farm and it, it would have been in the 70s. And he was in high school. So I think he was going to graduate high school. And he ended up falling off of a roof as they were building a building and hurting his back. And my grandpa said, you'll never be strong enough to farm if you have a weak back. You go to school and get yourself a job. So he went to Iowa State, studied finance, economics, and ended up working in Minneapolis for a um, company and spent 25 years there in finance and operations, and then ended up coming back to the family farm in uh, 2000, I'm trying to think, 2011, and being involved in our like financial um, transition going through different systems there. And now he is part-time working with our family business. And I'd say heavily involved, um, even when he's not on our time, so to speak. So it's kind of a neat story that it's kind of come full circle to have another family member join us that way. Um, and then, like I said, my grandfather, I mean, he, we could probably tell stories for days, but he being involved in the operation till he was 91, he has, seen a lot and done a lot. So uh, if you have time for a cup of coffee or a bowl of popcorn, we'll sit down and chat. <laughs> That's cool. Is that Kent? Yes. Yes. So I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions before we get into the topic a bit here today. Uh, the first one is what university do you root for? Okay. To be honest, I'm not biased. So that's probably not a very good answer, but I started out as a Augustana Viking. Most of my family members go to, or have gone to Iowa state and I am a graduate of South Dakota State, so I am far from biased, to be honest. <laughs> Do you have a go-to beer? I, I don't. I'm actually gluten intolerant, so oh, no. I uh, don't have a go-to. What is your favorite 
actor or actress or your least favorite actor or actress? Man, this is embarrassing. I don't have a good hobby, including kicking back and watching movies. <laughs> you have a favorite song? That's terrible. Um, well, honestly, right now, the song that I'm enjoying the most is called Cornerstone by Toby Mac. So it's a Christian song. Um, it's pretty new out on the radio, but I'm enjoying listening to that. Do you have a go-to karaoke song if somebody made you? That's funny. Uh, I don't. That's a hard one. I'll I feel like, like I know all these songs. And then somebody asked me, what karaoke song would you sing? And then I don't know any music. It just all goes blank. I don't no know. Jo- yeah, no joke. But like, <laughs> I mean, and my friends, <laughs> I had a friend get married recently. I mean, and at her, at her wedding dance, I mean, we could sing about every song they played. So <laughs> I guess I could probably sing along. You just throw one on. <laughs> What's the favorite place you've ever traveled? Oh, one of the most... Uh, memorable trips I've ever taken was to China on an ag experience trip. That was when I was in college. Um, yeah, just a lot of great, uh, opportunities to see agriculture and a whole nother country. Um, that's one that's definitely sticks out the most. What was it? What was something that stood out to you when you were there? One of my takeaways, um, then was that the dairy industry actually had a lot of opportunity because they were on a large initiative to get um, milk or so many servings of like a milk based protein into the children's diets every day. And so um, they were making shelf stable yogurt and milk and uh, a few other products just to put them in school. Um, and not all schools had refrigeration. And so there was, to me, a huge opportunity for the dairy industry. And then seeing the farms, the scale was much smaller than what I recall. Now, in recent, in recent years, we hear about the cities that are built, you know, of hotels that are 13 stories high of all sorts of layers of swine production. We didn't see any of that then. Um, but where we were traveling, just the small scale and then just to think that that's what we're competing against. And then just the inefficiencies they run into um, really yeah. were eye opening. All right. Last one for you. What is your bucket list place that you want to visit? Quite honestly, I would love to go to Mexico, but not to the places everyone probably thinks. I would like to go on a tour to see some of the hometown villages of our TN visas. I feel like cool. Very interesting just to see, um, meet their family, uh, see what their life was prior to the U.S. or when they returned back home, um, different things like that. I think it would be really interesting and eye-opening to see that. Yeah, I had the opportunity to go to Mexico and meet uh, my buddy's friends and family in, uh, in Saltillo and got to go to Monterey and then see his uh, his wife's hometown. And then I went to... Uh, a couple of the more resort places you'd go and they, they weren't near as fun as like being really in Mexico and yeah. being surrounded by the, the, tr- the real culture and meeting people's families and friends. So yeah, if you ever get the opportunity to do that, I'm sure that's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, I think we will. It's definitely on uh, our list to do. So today, as we talk about establishing a winning culture on the farm, I'd like for you to define as best as you can, what does a winning culture look like? 
for a farm? Well, for us, um, there are different metrics that we measure. I know the industry focuses a lot on turnover and that's an easy one and like an easier one to measure, so to speak. And so looking at your metrics is to me how you could measure winning just to benchmark farm to farm. Um, and I would say that I probably, I probably think of metrics maybe perhaps a little bit different than other farms do. Um, and we can, I mean, we can elaborate on that more if you would like here, but the other, the other thing that I like how I measure winning is just getting feedback from our team and those that support our team. So whether that's our farm veterinarian our genetic consultant, um, maybe that's our benefits, uh, administrator, perhaps it's just a business consultant that we work with. Maybe it's someone on our board of directors, those type of people giving me the feedback that talk to our team members, um, perhaps work with them and then directly communicate back to me some of the things they see. That's how I measure winning. What are some attributes of a winning team? Like what did like engagement or what are some things that you've noticed some characteristics? Sure. So team? yeah, not only turnover is that important to me. Um, we have a goal of 10% or less and I believe we're in an industry that's like wanting to be 30. And yeah. so, and, yeah. and I, and working in a diversified operation, I have other areas of the business that contribute to that turnover. So uh, you can look at it either way. Some, you might say, well, that helps you. And other times it might hurt you. Knowing though, the largest sector of our business is, is swine. Um, and so, yeah, measuring that turnover, but then also getting the feedback from my team members, um, you know, just different things that they're looking for and how I can help them back. Having that dialogue um, I have people in our community who comment, man, you have some really good team members, or we really enjoy being neighbors with them. Um, different comments like that. I also look at, this is kind of a unique thing. I don't, um, <laughs> I don't know that other companies may perhaps measure this, but I, I get a, on average, I get a one to two month notice when somebody's going to leave the company, not a one to two week notice. And really nice. it's insane. And I think I take it, I don't take it for granted because I know that that's not standard, but I think that speaks to who we are as well. Absolutely. Do you just feel like you're, you, you've been able to create a way and we'll talk about what you do, but you feel like you've created a way to help people feel more heard and, and included. And yeah, I think they just, something. yeah, they just feel valued. And like, they know leaving is going to hurt, so to speak yet they still care enough about the team they're leaving to give that amount of notice. I mean, to me, that's wonderful. Um, and so that's just something that I've kind of picked up on here over, over the last few years that uh, when I make comment to people about that, they about fall over. So <laughs> <laughs> during your presentation, you talked about three pillars to the way that you look at your role. Yeah. And and running a, a successful and winning culture and 40x EOS and surveys were those three. Can you break them down? We're going to start with 40x. Can you talk about 40x? What it is? Why it matters to you? And, and how it's helped? Yes, absolutely. So 40x stands for the four disciplines of execution, and 
one thing that um, I would say our team is very good at is executing. And to me, that's what I'm not going to say would make or break a farm, but it's definitely what sets a farm apart. Uh, Even like our farm veterinarian would comment on that of if I ask somebody at Pig Hill to, you know, do this or make sure this happens before I'm back. Like I know I can count on them. It will be done. And so what those, but what those core principles of uh, 40X are is one is focusing on wildly important, which is your goal Um, and setting we set multiple goals, but setting goals as a team and as a company, and then, you know, working together to accomplish them. And so we set goals over trimesters. It aligns with our growing season a little bit better in agriculture. And so um, we break down our yearly goals into three different segments. And then we, we check in. So as a leadership team, we actually check in on the progress of those goals every week. And so we're measuring a percentage completion. And then when it comes to the end of the trimester, it's either a pass fail. So 95% is is not complete. It has to be 100% to get credit. And so that's important to us to execute all the way to the end um, and to get that done. Another principle along those lines is acting on lead measures. So most things we look at, um, like turnover, for example, is a lag measure. And so that's something that's coming behind. And most things we look at in the industry are lagging. And so if those are production, like performance metrics, most of them are all something that happens after the group of pigs goes to market or after they exit the barn or after they're born or et cetera. So we have to find those things that we can act on in the moment that can be measured and reported and give us an idea of where we're going to end. They're a lot harder. Okay. So like if you're confused, it's because they're a lot harder to understand and or grasp what they are. A compelling scoreboard is another component of 40X. And in the book, if you read the book, it talks about playing a game of basketball. And so if you're on the street playing a game of basketball and you're just throwing on throwing around the ball with your buddies, you don't really know who's winning, who's losing. It's just, it's a game. Um, it's a game of pass more than anything. But if you have somebody who comes up with a, with a marker board and starts keeping score, the game gets more intense and you start to see the just the game change. And so a lot of sow units, I, I use this for an example, have a whiteboard. And so that's their scoreboard. They know their results as far as how many breeds did they have, how many born live pigs, how many pigs did they wean, those type of numbers. But a part of our scoreboard, not only is having one, but is also measuring, putting those lead measures on that scoreboard so that, like I said, our team knows if they're on track or off track to even meet their end goal. The final part of 40X is around cadence of accountability. And so accountability to me can come in a lot of forms. First, you have to know who your team is and who you're accountable to. That matters. Um, And then accountability, I gave some examples, I think can be measured in multiple ways. So our teams, our supervisors send out, um, I mean, I'd be included on this. We send out weekly, um, weekly emails of our schedule. And so, and we, I mean, we kind of review them. They're there for reference if you need to know if somebody's available that day or not. 
And if, but if you see like, for example, if you would see something on my schedule week after week, I would expect somebody to probably be checking in with me and saying, Hey, Janae, do you need help with that? Like, I see it's been on your schedule for three weeks now. And so that's part of accountability, just putting it out there. What are you working on? Um, what are you focusing on? And, and uh, what's the most important? And then if there's something on my list that is not like, say I have a, a wildly important goal that's not getting uh, made progress on and it's not on my weekly list, my team will check in with me and say, hey, Janae, you're not making much progress on this goal and it's not on your weekly to-do list. What can I take off your list? What do you need help with? I, I mean, just being specific, that's how I would see accountability working in that matter. Yeah. Um, at our SAL units and even our Grow Finish, we have a checklist that we work on or like a daily task list, I would say more. And um, with that, you know, you have the, the task and then the, a signature saying who completed it. And I know you've worked on that, Matt, with some of your program stuff too. And that's part of execution and then you know who to go to if perhaps you have questions or to give an attaboy. So accountability isn't all the, you know, father figure looking down, making sure you got your stuff done, so to speak. But it's also, I mean, when we, like you mentioned, we've been doing some stuff there. We went to one location and there were certain tasks where maybe multiple people had to do the task. Mm -hmm. And they came back and said, oh my goodness, like, this isn't, this isn't going to work. This isn't good enough. If all three of us do this task, all three of us want to be able to say we did it because like, I want everyone to know like how I'm contributing. Like there was a pride and a, a positivity that came to that accountability where mm -hmm. they were, they were showing that I'm not only accountable, I'm taking ownership. And that was so cool. Absolutely. Well, even we measure like the percent born alive for the piglets. And so for me, I can just say, Hey, who was in this position the last three days? I need to go give them a high five because they just killed it on their numbers. And so it's really fun to even just have that to go back to. Yeah. That's cool. What about entrepreneur operating system? We, yeah. we did some stuff with that, but sounds like you guys have had a lot of success with it. We, yeah, I would say we absolutely have. It's, it definitely came about, um, through, I would say some generational transitions that were needing to happen with management. And so our generate, I would say our, the junior generation, which I'd be a part of was like, we need a framework of which we can operate to manage our team and to successfully lead them. And so the EOS platform, so to speak, is really what has allowed us to I would say successfully manage a team and lead the team. So um, we just haven't been able to establish people's roles through that for that, well, for that accountability, but also just so that you know who is truly um, in charge of what, who to go to for communication purposes, um, who to include on decisions, et cetera. Go ahead. I think you're going to say something. Well, I was just going to say, so like EOS, that's a patented or it's a, it's a model of, yeah. of managing your business that I believe Gino Wickman wrote a book called Traction Correct. that focused on it. Okay. I wasn't sure and thinking maybe yes. I have to look it up, but Gino Wickman, he wrote a book about this and he and labeled it Traction. And now there are certified individuals out there that are coaches yep. for EOS. Yep. 
And yeah, if you happen to run into the right person at the right time, you might very well be trying EOS, but it, it does, it drives a level of accountability and, uh, and, and flexibility without losing the communication because communication is the biggest challenge, right? Almost in anything. Can you talk about how, how that process works with setting your vision and your rocks and and all of that and and how it has helped you guys communicate better as a team? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to speak to on EOS has really been the pathway that has allowed us to implement 40X. And so there's a lot of correlation between the two. And we work with a certified facilitator, somebody who, who knows the EOS platform very well. And so this individual, um, when we sat down with him, he's like, I'm going to convince you otherwise, because this is hard work. And we're like, well, we're committed because we need change. So <laughs> try to convince us, but I'm pretty sure we're yeah. on board. <laughs> and so it is, it is something that once you, if this is the way you want to go, so to speak, if this is how you'd like to run or operate your business, you do have to commit for it to be successful. And so part of that was establishing, you know, truly establishing our core values, our mission and our vision statement, putting up that accountability chart, um, writing what's called a vivid vision. And so we do that every three years. And like, for example, we just completed our 2023, 2026 vivid vision, which means in 20, we write it as if it's 2027 and this document is finished. And so we, we make like, kind of like you make smart goals, you make smart statements, so to speak, to say, we have marketed X number of pigs and 90 some percent of them were of this grade factor. And we fed X number of cattle and I don't know, 10% of them were prime. And so you're very specific with what you did and the outcome of it, not how you got there. Okay. Because that could change a lot. And so Having completed this vivid vision, we now can break it down into yearly and trimester goals. And so that's how we actually get to our wildly important. And that's how we get to our trimester goals is by looking at this vivid vision and just breaking it down one bite at a time. But it's it's what's helped us with our strategic planning so to speak, to say, this is where we'd like to be. This is the path we're on. How we get there exactly might be very different from what we see today, but ultimately this is where we want to end up. And that's nice because there are so many different paths. I mean, you put a goal out on a board, there might be 12 different ways you can get there and it doesn't mm-hmm. take a, a, a narrow-minded perspective on how we accomplish something, but rather... I believe it gets everybody to work together to say, hey, I got an idea on how we can get there. And you can pile all of it and figure out where you go from there, right? Correct. No, absolutely. And it's I'd say we've had some uh, wild things come about, so to speak, because of our favorite <laughs> vision. We, you know, we said, oh, we're going to survey our partners. And um, like, basically, we just wanted to survey our grain customers and figure out, you know, are we providing them the customer service they want and need and and different um, different factors? And what came about of that was a new grain bin. 
apparently we needed, we, they wanted more business and it was like, well, that wasn't on our radar, but there was a need and we had some programs come out of that. And so it's, it's kind of been interesting to see what's evolved um, from even the statements on the vivid vision that ultimately resulted in something much bigger. Another key component to EOS that I would say has been very successful for us is the implementation of level 10 meetings. And that, um, I think that got a lot of traction at my talk. <laughs> and yeah. um, well, most people don't enjoy meetings. And I'll be honest, I can speak to like what our meetings were uh, before we did L10. And I did not enjoy them either. You know, it was round robin. And what did people have going on this week? And what was the biggest complaint that we needed to work through? And it was just, I don't know, really grouchy and not enjoyable. And we're kind of maybe weird around here, but we run at weird times of the day and like we have six o'clock meetings and no one really was on time because I don't think anyone really enjoyed being there. Well, um, since putting level 10 structure in place, we have a six o'clock meeting and it is the same day, the same time every week. And it is rare that we don't start by 602. <laughs> I mean, People want to be there and it's that important that people make it happen. And so even when you're on vacation, you fill out your meeting notes and if you can call in, you can, if you don't, it's not the end of the world. You go back to the notes and you re can refer to what was discussed at the meeting. And so um, a little 10 meeting has a structure to it and we follow that template every week. And so we know what, like we know what's expected of us and we know what to expect at the meeting. The, the variable, there's variables in there, right? Like the topics are going to change week to week, yeah. but the structure of the meeting is the same, which I think really brings, I don't know, it just brings some surety to people of like, well, I know it's going to be on there and, or I have the opportunity to bring this up. It's well, a lot of people need that structure, right? To feel confident and uh, they're confident that one, you're going to get the time to talk about something that matters to you, mm -hmm. but also, you're not going to be surprised with something that shouldn't be in the meeting. Correct. And these are like, these are hard topics that get brought up. I mean, these are like true issues that need to be addressed. And then, you know, something's like, something within our issues is extensive. We might call a special meeting to order, so to speak. But otherwise, we take that 45 minutes and we really work through the hard things. Can you talk about how you utilize surveys? You do a really good job of utilizing surveys to understand sure. um, engagement and uh, whether yep. people feel heard. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So that's the last kind of pillar that you spoke of that I utilize. And so how I utilize surveys um, through our HR platform, I have the ability to generate them and then everybody gets a notification that it's ready for their um, input. And I do a survey index twice a year and it's called an index because it's points and then I can get an overall rating by person and or by team um, or by question. And so I ask the same questions twice a year and it's just to get a pulse on the, these different areas of our business and um, like the areas just to give you an idea, they would be how close is this to your ideal job? Do you enjoy working here? How does the company, how would you rate a company respecting your personal time? Um, 
Do you feel your ideas are heard? Are you recognized? It's, it's questions like that. And so what I do is I take, I take a pulse, uh, like I said, twice a year, but then I break it down by team and location. Uh, and then I watch also just overall, how's the overall team rating these areas? What are ones I need to work on? Um, what are ones that are really strong for us? And so, you know, is there something that perhaps we did in the last three to six months that's made one of these be lesser than previous? So just time to, you just analyze the data that way. Um, have you, with, with, with that, how long have you been doing these for part one of my question? Uh, three years. All right. The first time you did it, Mm-hmm. Was the action taken simply being mindful of the initial report? And then the second report was when you started to try to figure out things deeper or was it right away you were jumping in trying to figure out um, how you could improve those scores? I would say it was a little of both, but okay. probably more mindful of just understanding where are we. And now that I've been able to repeat this several times, this is where the trends really show up. And I do it in the spring and the fall, which could be the busier times of year in theory for us. And so, um, I, yeah, I try to be, I try to time them. So it's like, I'm not hitting quarter end or month end or something like very big. Um, or if we have a big project in the works, you know, I try to hit it at a time of lull. So people feel a bit more relaxed and can like truly spend time thinking on this. I get better participation if I do that as well. If I throw it and it's the end of the month or we have a really big project going on, people either aren't going to participate or they're not going to spend much time thinking about it. And my scores will be lower. Like I, I have noticed that. Um, So I I have to know in the environment of which people are operating as well. Um, But I also, so in addition to these, this survey index, I also do state interviews twice a year and these are questions it's usually five questions that i generate and they're typically around a topic whether that's communication benefits culture Uh, some of it might just be enjoying coming to work some of it might be centered around my lowest survey index (laughs) question and then kind of dig into that more what kind of feedback can i get that way um and so i put those out and typically those have a name tied to them unless there's something, for example, I was really focusing on culture to help me work with this presentation. And I did not have people put their names because I wanted honest feedback and I didn't want people to feel that if they tied their name to something negative, that, you know, it would be seen in a bad way and, or discourage people from being honest. Yeah. So I don't always include their name. Um, and, and that's just getting a pulse on the, on the team, depending on, like I said, whatever I'm choosing to survey on. But I would say if you're going to do surveys, for them to be su- successful, in my opinion, is to follow up on them. And so if you have a name tied to it, then you can visit with that person one-on-one. If you don't, you can address it by location or um, by team. And just in general, make it part of, you know, something if you're going to talk to the group about, let's make it part of that. Um, I know my team members well enough 
that usually I know who the comments are coming from, even if their name isn't tied to them. And sometimes they give away, like there's some obvious statements made in there that it's like, well, okay, that's that person. So sometimes I can go to that person directly, but I would say following up is, is important or key to that. Do you have any cool stories that have come out of, of that where you were able to make a change and it had a huge impact? Um, so I don't, I would say this was a success story. I actually had some feedback coming back from an individual that was more negative than positive. And I sat down with them and engaged them, I would say several times over an 18 month period. And through the, through those 18 months, um, we got more positive on our feedback, um, and or our indexes. And I would say I brought what was a rather unstable employee to a more, to a point of more stability. And, um, to me that was successful. Ultimately this individual gave me a two and a half month notice that they were going to leave the company because they wanted to change their career. But in that coaching period of those 18 months, we knew like ultimately together, that's where we came. Like, that's what we concluded was that the swine industry or his role wasn't something he was greatly passionate about and or loved doing. And the physical toll it had on him and his family was becoming a lot. And so we worked through that together. And so when he came to me and said, Hey, Janae, I'm, he actually told me several times I'm interviewing for this job. And I was like, okay. And like, he didn't get it. And so then he'd tell me, you know, Hey, now I'm going to, I'm in looking at this job instead. And like, it was like, I was helping him, you know, glide off of our team onto another team successfully, which sounds weird, but I would call that successful because we had that communication. Now he's going to a whole nother career field, one that probably has better hours and a better flow for his family. It's one that's going to be able to support them in what they need. It'll be less physical on him. Like to me, that's successful. Yeah. Yeah. No. So this is really cool. When we were starting our business, I mean, we were young, we had never had a situation where people were leaving or not. And we went to one of our, our mentors and we said, Oh no, we found out like this guy, he's going to leave. And, uh, he's like, why is he leaving? Well, he, uh, he had an opportunity to get like a, a really big management position for this one project. And, uh, we just don't know how we're going to tell the team because we think people are going to be really, really nervous about this. And he's like, no, every time you have an employee who makes a decision like that, that's a celebration. Absolutely. They were able to put themselves in a position to further their career and chase their passion or dream because of the time they spent with you. 100%. And I think as an industry and as a society, we do not celebrate enough when someone leaves because it sucks, right? When somebody mm-hmm. leaves, it's always hard, almost mm-hmm. always hard. But yeah. that's such a big deal that you were able to put that person in a position where they might now be just super satisfied and happy. Right, right. And part of establishing that culture, I mean, number one, if you set some standards, you get rid of, sorry, it sounds pretty crude, but like you get rid of the fluff (laughs) or you get rid of the people who really don't want to be there. They either don't belong or they just don't want to be there. And so once you work through that, I mean, you have a group of people who truly care and do want to be there every day, I mean, yeah, it's, it's more about success stories. And 
I always tell people we might be a stepping stone as part of your career, but learn as much as you can and let us help you grow. Yeah. We want you to chase whatever you need to chase and, and be a part of that. And, and it goes both ways. Yeah. And what I love, cool. what I love for you to be a part of our team, so to speak for your whole career. Yes, I would. Do I understand that I have limitations as a small company and I may not have all the career growth aspirations that you want? Yeah, I do. But if you, we can learn together here, like you'll be able to move forward to some other company or we'll be able to recommend you to another company and it'll be good for both of us. So as we wrap things up, I, one question I ask everyone who's on this podcast for the first time is what is a golden nugget, a bit of life wisdom that you've picked up along the way that you hold on to or you like to share? Well, specifically around HR, I tell some, I mean, I tell people there's really no secret sauce, but if I had to share one thing that like matters to the core, in my opinion, is really the golden rule. I think that's the golden nugget, so to speak, that I live by and it matters. And I think it goes a really long way. And, you know, there's always pressure and um, questions around know, budget and your team and do you, you know, is there ever enough or are you doing enough, but are you doing it within budget? However, if you just treat people as you would want to be treated, it doesn't take a lot of money to do that. And it doesn't have to take a lot of energy to do that. And yet it goes a really long way. That's great. Well, thank you, Janae, for being a guest on the Popular Pig Podcast. It has been a pleasure to get you on here to talk about your story, the history of Mogler Farms, and what you're doing today to drive a winning culture. Thank you, Matt, for having me on here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.